Thank you so much, Pastor Hojen, Pastor Danny, for leading us in worship. It's, uh, it's pretty remarkable to be in a movie theater. I feel like, I don't know, I should have sunglasses on or something, a movie star, uh, which I'm not. So anyway, here I am. But it is really a delight to meet all of you. I think we've got, uh, we've got Tufts in the house, we've got Berkeley in the house, we've got Northeastern in the house. Who am I missing? We've got Brandeis in the house. Who else? Who else is in the house? All right, Boston College. Who else? BU. BU, BU, yeah. Oh my gosh, so many of you past or present students. It's a delight. I tried to meet as many of you as I could around the edges uh, this morning. I'm actually in school as well, so I don't have my doctorate yet. I'm in finals this semester, ah, writing uh, a paper for my class on leader formation, so I feel your pain, and I'm a little tired. So I know how that goes, right? Um, but I am really delighted to be here. Pastor Bill, Pastor Linda, and the rest of your pastoral staff have been an important part of conference ministry. And as Pastor Hojan said, that big, you're part of a big church family from Maine to Virginia, 1,016 miles from north to south, and about 173 credentialed clergy. And as uh, we already heard, 80 to 90, depending on how you count them, uh, churches who are worshiping together this morning. And so I bring you greetings from a family you might have not even known you're part of. So um, actually, the most important thing I want to tell you this morning is that two weeks ago, I became a grandmother. Yes, I know, hard to believe. Right, right, right. So this is a picture of my firstborn, Daniel. So I love the name Danny, uh, although my son goes by Daniel. Uh, Daniel holding his firstborn, Vicente Ernesto Ettinger Lopez. And little Vicente lives in the south of Chile with his mom and dad. My son emigrated to Chile 10 years ago. And so he and his wife, Paola Lopez Contreras, are the proud parents of little Vicente. I haven't met him yet, pandemic issues, but hopefully February. So I am delighted to introduce you to the most important person in my life right now, whom I haven't even met, but also just want you to know that I'm really happy to be here this morning. So shall we hear the word of the Lord together? Here's the scripture passage that we're going to be meditating on together. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written, in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And so it was that when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon 
was there. Simeon took the baby into his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me for a minute? God, thank you that you do not leave us by ourselves, but you come. You constantly are the one who comes. Lord, today, would you open our minds that we might understand your scripture and receive your peace and give it away to someone else in need? We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, something you won't see in a Christmas movie, a Hallmark movie, or whatever your version of a Christmas movie is, is this truth. Christmas begins in the dark. One oppressive empire after another had been suppressing the conquered Jewish people in Palestine for over 300 years before the birth of Christ. Rome, currently in charge at the time of our passage, was no better an empire in its rule over the Jewish people than the Greeks had been under Alexander the Great. Taxes, debilitating, dehumanizing. Jews were targeted according to their ethnic and spiritual identity for unjust and sometimes ruthless treatment. You may know the story in the other, one of the other biographies of Jesus, the Gospel of Matthew, where the governor ordered a genocide of Jewish babies in order to attempt to wipe out the life of the Messiah. Christmas begins in the dark. It begins in the shadow of oppression an empire, and injustice. The people in this story, Simeon and Mary and Joseph, and yes, even little newborn Jesus, were marginalized religious outsiders who nevertheless had remained faithful to their traditions, their faith, and their God as best they could. Making their way to the temple in Jerusalem that day, Mary and Joseph were actually worshiping God. They were dedicating their baby to the Lord. And you may have noticed in our passage, there's a whole bunch of like religious terms that don't mean a lot in our lives today. Circumcision, purification rites, law of Moses, law of the Lord, consecrating, making a sacrifice, doves, pigeons. What's going on here? Don't miss this. In their faithfulness to their godly traditions, they were making a statement about the enduring, culture-making power of God's ways. My friend, the Reverend Jude Jackson, who is an African-American covenant pastor in New York, is also a poet. He writes about this very passage in a poem called Ceremonials and Rituals. And here's what he says. 
we will not be erased. We will name, we will ritualize, we will ceremonialize, we will worship, we will celebrate, and we will not be erased. This is part of our existence. This is part of our resistance. This is part of our faith. And we will not be erased. Christmas begins with a people struggling to not be erased, struggling to remain faithful to God's ways and simply to stay alive. And like thousands of his people over hundreds of years before him, Simeon was waiting for God to do something about the oppression and suffering and injustice his people were experiencing. In many ways, Simeon was waiting for peace. In verse 25, Simeon, the passage says about Simeon that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting to be consoled. Other translations put it, he was waiting for the salvation of Israel. And still others translate it as waiting for God's peace to come to Israel. Simeon was waiting for peace. He was waiting for peace to come to his people through some divine act of God. And we all know what this longing can feel like. Simeon had been waiting for a really long time. Most scholars think he was pretty old, older even than I am. Waiting. We all experience waiting. When my daughter-in-law was in labor two weeks ago, every minute with no news seemed like an eternity. Perhaps we're waiting for finals to be over and vacation to begin or Christmas morning or waiting for that new job to come through or for unemployment insurance to kick in or waiting for the test results, waiting for injustice to end, waiting for our elders to no longer be at peril in the streets, waiting for the pandemic to finally really be over. Yeah, that would be good. Simeon had been waiting all his life for God to bring peace to his people. Now, here's the fascinating thing to me about this. So Simeon was waiting, and he knew generally what he was waiting for, peace, consolation. But he didn't know what form the peace would take or where to look for it or even how to recognize it when it showed up. And as it happened, the peace that God sent came wrapped in a very unexpected package. How could anyone have expected peace, God's peace, to come in the person of an eight-day-old infant in the arms of poor teenage parents? My grandson, Vicente, is 14 days old. He can't even hold up his own head yet. He's helpless, he's uncomfortable, he's disoriented, he cries a lot, he can't change his own diapers, you get the idea. No one would look for consolation and peace in such a completely dependent and helpless baby. And yet this is exactly how God chose to bring peace. And the truth of the matter is, that the gift of God's peace often is hard to see in the middle of a dark and distressing world. 
And yet, Simeon saw it. Saw it. He recognized it. How? I'm glad you asked, right? So uh, what can we learn from Simeon's story about recognizing God's gift of peace, receiving God's gift of peace, and, yeah, regifting God's gift of peace to others? And we're going to take each one of these one by one and see what we can learn from Simeon, our, old, our elder, and see what he can teach us. I love to imagine uh, Simeon maybe in the marketplace on this very day, doing what he'd, he'd done thousands of times before, maybe you know, picking through the vegetables, greeting the old ladies who are selling the produce. And all of a sudden, you know, if you can kind of picture the, the, the camera zooming in on his face, he gets this look of like curiosity. And he steps out of the fray, and almost like he's listening to an internal text message or something. And suddenly, we see him kind of in our imaginations rushing out of the marketplace. And then the camera kind of zooms you know, on the horizon, and you see the temple in Jerusalem looming. And you realize he's rushing right, to, this, to this building. And then he, he, run, he walks in, and he's, he's looking. He's looking. He's walking pretty quickly for an old guy. But he, he, he walks in, and he's looking in every face. Every parent of newborns, every worshiper, every priest, every person looking to make a sacrifice, he's looking, but he doesn't know what he's looking for, right? And then all of a sudden, he sees these two teenagers holding a baby. And he walks up to them, and he recognizes this is it. How did he do that? How did he have such ninja recognition skills? Let's dive in and see what we can learn uh, from this incredible story, recognizing peace. First, we see oh, three things, right? We're going to kind of go through these, and then we'll go on to receiving peace. But Simeon tried to live faithfully. He soaked his life in scripture, and he practiced responding to the Holy Spirit. So we see that Simeon was ready to recognize God's peace by these three skills that are on display in his story. Recognizing peace, he tried to live faithfully. How do we know this? Well, we see he's described as a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Now, you all know this, right? Righteous and devout, that's Bible speak. It's another way of saying Simeon tried to live faithfully. He didn't just talk about being a faithful Jew. He also tried to walk it out, right? So Simeon, our elder, he believed some things about God and he tried to live by them. That's what it means to be righteous and devout. This would have included things like being kind to the poor, caring about justice, as we heard from the EGI movie this morning. He would have paid attention to what food he ate. He was attentive to his sexuality, his business practices, his generosity. And he did all of these things whether they were popular or not. Because he determined to try to live faithfully. This may have been unexpected. This may have even been countercultural compared to the reign of empire all around him. Nevertheless, by trying to live faithfully, as poet and pastor Drew Jackson says, Simeon would not be erased. For Simeon and for us, how we live, not just on Sunday, but during the week as well, it just gives us lots of practice in doing what's pleasing to God, even if nobody else 
is expecting it. And maybe, just maybe, it helps prepare us to recognize the unexpected ways that God works in the world. Trying to live faithfully might just give us insight. And like Simeon, we might see something we might have missed without this engagement in living faithfully. In other words, the habits, the godly practices, you know, the disciplines, that D word, um, they attune our eyes to the ways of God. And this helps us to recognize God's gift of peace in whatever form it takes. So recognizing peace, uh, Simeon had practice because he was trying to live faithfully. Next, we notice that he soaked in scripture. Okay, it's really important to understand that for Simeon, the Bible wasn't just about following rules. No, the Bible was about forming and shaping his identity and his community's identity. Simeon was really into the Bible. Scripture formed and shaped his thoughts, his insights, his relationships, his conversations. In other words, he soaked in it. It permeated his being like a good marinade permeates the fish for Friday's dinner or the beef for that perfect Korean barbecue. He marinated in it. How do we know this about him? Well, here are clues into the reality that Simeon soaked in scripture. Simeon has four big lines in this dialogue, in this particular scene, right? Four lines of dialogue. His prayer to God in the part of the story that we read today, and then his conversation with Mary and Joseph that follows. You can go look at it uh, later this afternoon. Well, his four lines of dialogue, his big moment, are packed full of echoes from the Bible. There are at least 10 different allusions or quotations directly from the book of Isaiah in his speech. And so by this, we can surmise that scripture shaped his big ideas, shaped his longings, his prayers. And because he soaked in scripture, he knew God promised to send a Messiah. And he believed that somehow, some way, this Prince of Peace, whoever that was going to be, would come. And by soaking in God's word, Simeon's imagination took on the flavors of scripture and prepared him to recognize the taste of God's goodness when it showed up in the person of a baby. The more we soak in God's word, the more we take on its flavor. Just like a great marinade changes that plain old boring piece of beef to one that's soaked through with all the flavors of the marinade, so too with us when it comes to soaking in scripture. It changes us in our waiting. It flavors us and seasons us, and it prepares us to recognize God when God shows up.
Recognizing peace involves trying to live faithfully, soaking in scripture, and finally practicing responding to the Holy Spirit. Did you notice in the passage, the gospel writer lets us know without a doubt that this guy was in tune with God's Spirit. Holy Spirit, verse verse 25, the Holy Spirit was on him. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die before seeing the Lord's Messiah. Verse 27, the Holy Spirit moved him to go to the temple courts that fateful day. Simeon practiced the presence of God's Spirit and practiced responding to those nudges. So much so that when the Spirit moved him on a given day, he hurried off. He dropped everything, right? And he hurried off to the temple in just the right moment to run into this random couple. In an absolutely huge space, he shows up at just the right moment. What a coincidence. I'm from New York. Every once in a while, I drop into my native New York. What a coincidence. I honestly don't think it was a coincidence because I don't think it was the first time that Simeon jumped at the chance to respond actively to a nudge from the Holy Spirit. It was probably about the millionth time in his long life that he had a nudge, he had a prompt, he sensed an invitation, and he went with it. Just like us, Simeon largely learned by trial and error to respond to the nudges of the Holy Spirit. How do we practice responding to nudges of the Holy Spirit? Well, we we live faithfully in community. Uh, we, We let our minds and imaginations be soaked in the goodness and justice of God's scripture. And then we just practice, right? So I get the nudge to invite my neighbors over for uh, dessert the day before one of them is having surgery. And I, you know, I check in with the rest of my household. Everybody's on board. And so I just invite them over. It's just a nudge. Nobody you know, kneels and says the sinner's prayer. But we build relationship in response to a nudge. Maybe you think of writing an old-fashioned handwritten note. Remember those? A note of encouragement to a friend. You find a stamp. You can ask your parents what a stamp is and a mailing address, and you just do it, right? It's kind of random, but it's a nudge, and you practice, and you do it. Maybe you help out at a homeless shelter one day a month, or you uh, volunteer uh, to uh, volunteer with EJI, the local justice prison around here. That would be quite a thing to do. You welcome people into your apartment to pray for the EJI EJI initiative. You put together care packages for Afghani rescue. Um, refugees. Whatever it is, you just practice. You get a nudge. You check it out. What's the worst that could happen? Somebody's blessed. These little nudges and big responses over a lifetime of practicing, that means that one of these times, a nudge very well might lead us straight into an encounter with the peace that God seeks to give us in Jesus. Recognizing peace involves living faithfully as best we can, soaking in scripture, and practicing responding to the Holy Spirit. So here we are. Let's recap. If like Elder Simeon, we're doing these things, we too might just be better able to recognize how God is bringing us the gift of peace 
in dark times. The story doesn't end, though, does it, with just recognizing this unexpected wrapping and God's peace. Simeon had to receive it, right? So recognizing peace is one thing we can do, but then receiving it is yet another. The Bible tells us Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. It's certainly true that Simeon recognized the peace of God in the very unexpected person of a baby. It's another thing altogether to see that he received that peace. He accepted that what he was seeing was, in fact, God at work. I mean, a baby? God, are you paying attention? We need a mighty warrior here. Rome's got soldiers and weapons and power and money, and you send a baby to under-resourced teenage parents on the margins at that? But even though he may have been looking for something else, when Simeon laid his eyes on Jesus, everything else he had been expecting faded into the background. In other words, Simeon fully accepted what God was doing even though it didn't make sense. He accepted what God chose to give. He saw God at work, and he took Jesus in his arms. Maybe even he did like that Rafiki Lion King moment, you know, held him up in the air for everybody to see. Simeon accepts God's promises embodied in Jesus, and he receives that gift. Do you know what I mean when I say Rafiki Lion King moment? Did I just lose my audience? Come on, put your hands up. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. Phew. I'm like, wait a minute. They, they should all know the Lion King, right? Um, but at any rate, that's kind of what that moment feels like, you know? And Simeon accepts God's promises, and his long waiting is over. He says to God, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, I'm good, God. I'm all set. My work here is done. I'm so satisfied. I'm so fully at peace. It can be deeply satisfying and meaningful to receive the peace that God gives, even if it comes in unexpected ways. It's not what I expected, but it is just right, because you are just and right. And so in receiving this gift from you, I open myself up to your peace, and to my surprise, I discover that I am content. It is enough. So recognizing peace, receiving peace, and finally, re-gifting peace. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Christmas is a great time to re-gift what we've received so someone else can enjoy a similar gift. 
we can give this gift away to others. And in giving it away, what we've received, I don't know how God does this, but it somehow multiplies when we give it away to someone else. And Simeon does some regifting here. Did you notice it? In that Rafiki Lion King moment, he makes the hidden gift of Jesus public. He, I'm imagining he's kind of loud because he's got to, you know, get the voice up over the crowd in the temple courts. Look, folks, God's peace has been here. It's been hidden for ages, and I could have missed it, but, but look, here he is, the Prince of Peace. God's salvation here, he's, he's here in this moment. He regifts it by making it public. He tells his story. Simeon is, makes such a big deal of it that if you read the second half of the story this afternoon, another old wise sage, an auntie, the prophet Anna, comes up to them at that very moment and also recognizes, receives, and regifts the God, the peace of God. Because Simeon drew attention to what God was doing. But there's one more thing about this regifting that I want us to reflect on this morning. Simeon is the very first person in the book of Luke to mention non-Jewish people, Gentiles, as recipients of God's gift of peace. Like, wait a minute, Barbara. No, no, you go look. It's true. All the angels announcing babies to Elizabeth and Mary and John and Joseph and all the babies leaping in wombs and all the choir of heavenly hosts, all the shepherds, all they talk about is God's peace for Israel, for God's own people. And surely that is the case. Simeon does that, right? He says, for the glory of your people Israel. But he's the first one to explicitly say that this gift is also for the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the outsider outsiders. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. As far as I know, I don't have any Jewish blood in my heritage. It was a light for me before I even existed. This gift is not just for his own people. It was also for the Jews, and catch this, maybe even for the very people who were oppressing them. Maybe for the Romans, too. Ooh. That's some powerful regifting. How can we give to someone else the peace Christ has given us? We tell our stories. We speak about something that God did for us that brought us peace. This is what God did for me this week. Can I say a prayer for you? Or you might want to consider someone who needs encouragement or blessing or a simple act of kindness, even if they did just cut us off in traffic or push us out of the way when the subway door was closing. <laughs> Invite a coworker or a neighbor to church, bring him to the Christmas party, whatever. Regift peace by telling our story. And in doing this, we join God in making God's peace known. And our own sense of his presence grows. So it turns out that Christmas 
begins in the dark. But Christmas brings with it the light of Christ to dispel the darkness. It's his light that brings us the gift of peace. And I invited you a little bit into my story today when I introduced my son Daniel and that he is a new dad. But now as I get close to wrapping up, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my other son, Jonathan, who lives and works in Washington, D.C. When Jonathan was a little boy, for a period of about a year, he had night terrors. I mean, we are talking screaming, crying, walking in his sleep all night long, a lot, boku. It was really rough. And one thing we would do to help him through his time was to turn on a small light in his room to help dispel some of the darkness. It didn't light up every corner of the room. It didn't. But it was a light in the darkness that he could focus on when he was afraid. That light in the darkness would comfort him. It would console him and give him some measure of peace. And that was a good thing. Of course, that small light in my son's room did not light up every corner, and some darkness remained. And I hate to break it to you, but you know it already. In some way, the arrival of Christmas did not instantly eliminate all the darkness. The empire did not come crumbling down that day when Simeon rejoiced over his encounter with the Prince of Peace. In fact, conditions actually got worse for the Jews. We experience the effects of empire today, injustice, brokenness, sorrow, grief. Our elders still experience violence. Our hearts still break. We still cry out, how long, O Lord? Empire hangs on and darkness lingers, but hear this, it will not win. Because even though empire hangs on and even though empire lingers, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ is now here. And that kingdom is ruled securely by the Prince of Peace. The light of God's revelation in Jesus came into our world on Christmas Day and one day, when the kingdom of God is fully realized, you know what will be completely erased? The darkness. The darkness will be completely erased when the kingdom of God comes in in all its glory. In that great day, darkness will finally end. But until that day, we wait. We recognize that Christ is our light in the darkness. We recognize, we receive, and we re-gift the great gift of God's peace in the person of Jesus to someone else whose light, whose room and life is completely dark. Amen?
Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you did not leave us alone and that you will not leave us alone. Give us eyes to recognize you. We need your peace in our lives as individuals and in our communities. Give us courage to receive what you are doing and give us grace to re-gift to someone else. In the name of the Prince of Peace, we pray. Amen.